Um, so indeed, uh, we are in the season of Advent. So I'll just say uh, when uh, this time of the year rolls around, I uh, firmly put on that lectionary cap and I, I pull out uh, the, the scriptures that are being read around the world uh, that uh, many churches uh, are reading uh, along with us this morning. Uh, and that's what we're doing. We're reading from Isaiah 2, 1 through 5, which is what, um, uh, if you talk to your various Methodist friends or your, uh, some of your Baptist friends and some of your Catholic friends and uh, some of your uh, Presbyterian friends and whoever, uh, they will say, oh, our preacher preached from that text this morning as well. So that's what we're doing. And on the first season, and I do it during Advent uh, primarily uh, because uh, this is a season that de- that is dedicated on the church calendar, heading into, as Beth has already said, Christmas. Right. So we're technically not in the season of Christmas. We're in the season of of Advent, the preparation for the coming. Right. The expectation, the the longing, the waiting. That's what we're doing right now. And indeed, I too actually like that uh, we're not immediately jumping into Christmas because it gives us time. And Lord knows I need some time to get myself ready for Christmas. I don't know about you coming off the heels of Thanksgiving, but I need a breather. My guess is you do too. Expectations are funny things. So we're running with uh, the... the, the um, uh, the names or the, the titles uh, that are in our Advent book for, that the whole church is, is reading together. And, and so the first uh, week uh, is titled Expectation. Normally it's, it's hope. And indeed, hope and expectation are similar, not the same thing though. Hope, uh, in my mind, does have a, a happier edge to it. Expectation may not have the happiest of edges. I don't know. What, what do you, real question here, uh, the kids have already answered, but what do you expect to happen over the next uh, month as uh, we prepare ourselves for Christmas? What, what do you expect these days to look like for you? Chaos. Chaos. <laughs> Thank you. Just go ahead and say it, right. Chaos. There's one. What? It, right. A beautiful chaos, but chaos, yeah. Busyness. Lots of food. Presence, yeah. Good things. Traffic, <laughs> congestion, illnesses. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's a lot of expectations out there. And indeed, some of these are, are good uh, and things we, we can't wait for, right? Uh, my family has certain traditions that we do uh, all through the Christmas season or the Advent season. I just and, uh, and then there are some things that, you know, I'm not necessarily looking forward to, but are part of the season itself. Today, uh, we're reading from uh, Isaiah 2, 1 through 5, which is, as you well know, a prophetic passage, right? Isaiah is a prophet, and he's looking into the future. And as he does so, we always actually start the, the first week of Advent with some kind of prophetic look into the future. And there's really two senses to this. 
there's a sense in which the prophecy has already happened and come true in Jesus himself. So Isaiah is living a thousand years or a little less uh, before Jesus, and this comes to fruition. But then there's also the second coming, the second advent, the return of Jesus that is part and parcel of this thing we call Advent. And that, too, we are reminded of over these four weeks that we gather together. And so today, as we talk about expectations, and as we talk about hope, and as we talk about Jesus, and as we talk about the return of Jesus, we pull together all of these things. As we get our hearts ready for that, I'd ask that you join me in prayer. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we come this morning with expectations, with um, lots of different things weighing on our hearts this morning. Uh, Many of us had wonderful Thanksgivings in which we were able to give thanks, and we're so glad uh, that we spent good time with family and with friends. And then we have expectations about what the coming days and the coming weeks are. But Lord, here and now, we ask that for this moment, that we be in your presence, fully in your presence, that mind, body, soul, heart, emotion, all of it be dedicated to you in this time, and that we look for a word straight from you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, If you will, uh, let's turn together to Isaiah chapter 2. And we'll look at this passage a little more closely. If you don't have a Bible with you, there is one in front of you. And um, I would encourage you to pull it out. It's a good practice to actually read the words of Scripture as we read them. The passage from Isaiah begins this way. The word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains. Just very quickly, the mountain of the house of the Lord is is in Jerusalem, right? This is the mount upon which the temple itself sits. The house of the Lord is the temple, and the mountain on which it sits is the temple mount, right? And this is what is being referenced here. And now, obviously, uh, well, maybe not obviously, but if, if you've been to Jerusalem or that area, the temple mount actually isn't that high. It most certainly isn't the highest of the mountains in the world, Uh, I just drove through West Virginia, and those mountains were a little bit higher than what I saw when I was over in Israel. But if you drive even further out to Denver, you'll see much higher mountains yet, right? Or if you travel the world, you'll find higher mountains yet. But clearly, that's not what we're talking about, is it? That's not what Amos, or uh, Isaiah, rather, son of Amos, is talking about. He's asking that the mountain of the house of the Lord be established as the highest of the mountains in a very different kind of sense. He keeps going. It shall be lifted up above the hills, and all the nations shall flow to it. 
Now, this word flow is very much a, it's like a river word, like rivers flow, streams flow, right? Normally they flow downhill, right? And in this case, you have a mountaintop experience where the nations, the people of all the world are coming and gathering together and they're flowing up the mountain to see what? What is up there? What are they hoping to find? Well, God, right? The temple is filled with God's presence, and they are going up to find God's presence. It is remarkable that Isaiah is saying this, because actually, he's in a bit of danger right now. He and uh, the nation of Judah. They're, they're about to be overtaken by the Babylonians. The Assyrians had just come in and almost wiped them out. And so there's uh, some contention in the land, and, and it's an uncertain time. And uh, there's concern that actually war is on the horizon. And if war is on the horizon, then you most certainly don't want what? The nations flowing in to the place where you are. You want to put up the walls at this point. You want to keep them at bay. But Isaiah, in the word of the Lord, speaks a different kind of word, and he envisions a different kind of time. And it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord, the temple mount itself, will become the highest place, and everyone will see it for what it is. And the nations, all nations, will flow to it. And many people shall come, and they shall say, Come, let us go up the mountain of the Lord. To the house of the God of Jacob. And if it was unclear of what house they're going to or who this God is, twice he says it. One, you can see very clearly, it is the God of Jacob. Unmistakable who this God is. The other is maybe a little harder to spot, but if you know your Bible well enough, when you see Lord in big letters, it means Yahweh, the name of God. They are all going there to see this God for who he really is, the God of gods, the Lord of lords, the King of kings, right? And this is what these nations have come to see. They've come from all over the world to see God. That he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. And so God's job is what? Is teaching us his ways, his paths, right? And our job is what? Is to walk in them. And so God's doing the teaching and we're doing the walking. And he goes on. For out of Zion, again the holy hill, Zion, shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And you might think law is a, it's a, it's a heavy word. Not necessarily. We certainly have laws uh, in our nation, of course, right? But this word is, is bigger than just that kind of law. It means... Well, Torah is, of course, the Hebrew, but it just simply means instruction. It means teaching. And so what happens? Well, God, 
the giver of the law and the teachings is teaching us. And again, our job is to do what? Is to receive the teachings and to walk in those ways. The word of the Lord is what we are to listen to. And it comes straight from Jerusalem and we walk its paths. And in verse 4, He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples. And don't be confused by the word judge here. What should come to mind immediately, if you have the biblical knowledge, is the person of Moses, or maybe the book of Judges, and this idea that in the Old Testament, they're much like today, of course, with our Supreme Court, but there had to be somebody to determine the disputes between the peoples. And this was at first Moses. And then it got to be too big of a job for Moses. So Moses had buddies who, who helped him do this. And, and then it got dispersed over time, right? And so you have the laws. You have the instructions. And what's clear in here is that all of these nations, for the very first time in history probably, are on the same page as to what the laws are, what the instruction is, and who the judge is over all of these disputes. And then it makes clear that because justice is possible for the first time, and peace is possible because of the justice, well, then what can happen? It says they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. It's this beautiful and lovely metaphor of what? Taking weapons of war, your swords and your spears, and saying, we don't need them anymore. This is not who we are, and, and the world is such a place that we no longer, we, we live in peace, and therefore we can turn these spears and we can turn these swords into other tools, tools to harvest with and to grow things and to make life, not to take life. And then it goes on, and he says, Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. And he concludes this way, O house of Jacob, come. Let us walk in the light of the Lord. It's a beautiful passage, isn't it? This, uh, in some ways, it's very easy to preach. It feels a little naive. <laughs> a lot has happened, if, if you know, uh, since the time Isaiah wrote this and, and to this day. And there's been plenty of war and the plowshares haven't exactly been, uh, or the, the swords haven't been turned into plowshares. And it, but it's beautiful. And it's a vision of hope. And it's a vision of a future that is yet to be achieved. But there is a sense in which some of this has already been achieved. And it's these two things that we need to talk about. There's the, uh, what scholars call the now, and the not yet. Are you familiar with this terminology? It seems simple enough, right? 
There's uh, what is available now, and then there is what's yet to come. There's the now and the not yet. And there's a paradox that exists within Christianity where we talk routinely about things that have happened, and then suddenly like bad things happen, and we realize, well, yeah, we're still in the not yet too. And so there's this peace that we all desire, and, and it's there. It feels like it's like waiting for us, and it has been achieved through Jesus Christ on the cross. And then there's the not yet side of it, where we live the, the daily life that doesn't always have the peace within it. And so the expectation is filled with presence and, and positive Christmas feelings and, and, and hope, and then it's also filled with some chaos, right? And there's the now, and there's the not yet, and both sit right there together. If you've ever wondered, like, uh, does Christianity just not see that tension? I promise you, we all see it. We all feel it. It's a real thing. And so we need to discuss today what, out of this passage, we are told to expect both in the now and in the not yet. I've pulled three things out for our sake. Three things. Presence, peace, and a path. Yes, they're all P, because I'm told good preachers do that. <laughs> presence, and not of the uh, rapt type, <laughs> God's presence, peace, not of the cake type, uh, and, uh, and a path, all right? So presence. If we start there, uh, there was a, a wonderful quote I found this week that I really liked, and uh, it goes like this. A woman named Michelle Blake says, one of the essential paradoxes of Advent, a paradox, by the way, is, is holding two things together that don't necessarily feel like they fit together. She says, that while we wait for God, we are with God all along. That while we need to be reassured of God's arrival or the arrival of our homecoming, we are already at home. And this to me is indeed what we find in Isaiah and what we find in the person of Christ and what we expect in the second coming. We have the presence of God available, and Isaiah talks about it. The holy mountain, right? that is supposed to be higher than every other mountain, that the nations flood into. They're looking for one thing. They're looking for the presence of God. And we have good news. The presence of God came in the person of Jesus Christ. That has been fulfilled. It is the already part. It is the already part that we have access to because as Jesus lives, teaches, dies, and is resurrected, God's presence then is floods the world through the giving of his spirit. I actually talked about that some today in our, our Sunday school class. As the Holy Spirit is uh, poured out on the people, we, we think of uh, scenes like uh, Acts 2. Do you remember this in Acts 2? 
where the disciples, this is of course after Jesus' resurrection and ascension, and then the Holy Spirit gets poured out, and there are nations that have already flooded to Jerusalem, and they're all, they're all there, and the, the disciples are doing what? They're, they're speaking in the tongues of all these other nations. And the Spirit is being poured out, not just on the disciples, but on the world that has come to Jerusalem. Or Paul. Do you know why he goes to the ends of the earth? Do you know why he goes on these missionary journeys? He doesn't just stay put in Jerusalem. Why? Because he sees it as his job to take the good news to the nations, to fulfill the passages like we read here in Isaiah 2. So that the nations themselves might come flooding into the presence of God. But there's a not yet to all this, isn't there? There are missionaries, of course, scattered throughout the world, doing this job to this very day. The presence of God is something that we all still seek and sometimes find and then keep seeking and then sometimes find And we desire it in its fullness, don't we? And that's the not yet part. And if you turn with me to the book of Revelation, the very, very end, the last couple pages of your your Bible, in Revelation 21, we find a beautiful statement, starting in verse 22. This is a, a vision of the new Jerusalem. That's what it's called, the New Jerusalem. Isaiah is prophesying about a Jerusalem, right? And here, John is prophesying about a New Jerusalem. And he says, in that city, I saw no temple. I I didn't see a temple, he said. That, That holy hill that Isaiah talks about, he says, it's not present. Because its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. The city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. And by it, by its light, the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. There's so much happening in this passage. A couple things that we find. The new Jerusalem is filled with God's presence. This is the not yet that we haven't gotten to. This is what we're all waiting for. The presence of God that is tangible and and visible and and is is something that we all know without a shadow of a doubt 24-7. And then there's the fact that in this passage, the, this vision that, that John has in it, he also envisions the nations again flooding into Jerusalem, in this case, the new Jerusalem, and the nations are walking in, and the kings of the earth are walking in, and they're bringing into it their glory. Expectations. The expectations we have this season include the presence of God. You should hold out hope that the presence of God be something in your life, day in, that we've given you uh, an Advent calendar, and I hope you utilize it, but if not that, something else, right? 
a daily something trying to find the presence of God in your life. Number two, peace. Peace. We already touched on it a little bit, but in uh, this Isaiah passage, Isaiah mentions uh, in a few ways and a few times the importance of peace and the beating of these, plow sh- uh, of these swords into plowshares and the, the spears into pruning hooks. And it says, nation's not going to lift up sword against nation and they shall, uh, neither shall they learn war anymore. Can you envision a world in which we no longer need the Department of Defense? I know a lot of you be out of jobs. Apologies. Uh, but that'd be a great world. I'm just going to say it, right? If we didn't need it, that would be a wonderful world. If true peace existed, this is the, uh, not the already world, unfortunately, but we are promised that it's the, the not yet. It, it's what's going to happen in that Revelation 21, 22 world. It's the what's to come. And so for those of you who are acquiring skills in this life, (laughs) defense, uh, you won't need them in the next life. Apologies again. Uh, Peace. Well, peace is something just not just on a national level or on on a global level. Of course, it's something that sits right here too for each of us. Peace. And um, I guess I, I mean... I've talked to enough of you now that we know that peace is something that we experience through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who has saved us and given us reason for hope and reason to trust. And we can, we can lean into that peace. And that is good. And, and that is why you should seek God's presence on a daily basis. Because one of the benefits of it is with the presence of God comes peace. But we also know the not yet part, right? And that sometimes that peace isn't there. And that during certain seasons or certain memories pop up or just life gets hard. And sometimes that peace is taken and we desperately try to get it back. And so our expectations... It is now, and it is not yet. And we hold these two things in tension, and that's okay. But may we be people who seek God's presence, and may we be people who seek God's peace. The last and final thing is the path. The path. In Isaiah 2, the path is the Torah, it's the teaching, it's the law, it's the instruction, right? And back in verse 3, we're reminded that it's God who teaches us His ways, His path, that we may walk in His path. Christianity, before it was ever called Christianity, was called the path, the way, right? The way. We are people of the way, is what we could say. And the path isn't necessarily something that you just walk. It's also something that you become. 
And so as this instruction of the Lord, this Torah, changes us and it molds us and it shapes us, even in the darkest of hours, and we've already learned that December is a pretty dark month, right? Literally speaking now. Even in the darkest of hours, if we are shaped into people of the way, God promises us at least this much. He says that his word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. His word is, right? And as long as I've got that lamp sitting right before me, I may not know what's way down that way. I may not know what's going to happen two weeks from now, a month from now, certainly not five years from now, but I got the next few steps, and I can walk that much. And through the Word of God, we take steps, and we walk through life. The now and the not yet part of this, the now part of this is a is a wonderful thing. You see, Jesus himself, John uh, tells us, the the Gospel of John, is the Word, right? This is how the the book of John begins. In the beginning was the Word, and he's talking about Jesus. And so as we embody the kind of person that Jesus was, we live into the Word. Um, But... we know that's difficult, and that's a tall task. And there's the not yet part of that. And the part where we desire to live into it and then fail. And so my encouragement to you this morning is that we seek God's presence, and in doing so, we might find God's peace, but we also find a path forward. And we walk that path together. And so I want to conclude then where Isaiah chapter 2 concludes, which is with, again, expectation, but an exhortation in uh, this already and not yet kind of season. I think we need both. I think we need expectations and we need exhortations. We cling to God's presence and we know that it's there in our times of greatest need, And also there in our times of greatest triumph. And it's worth remembering both of those things. We know that God's peace is available through Jesus Christ, who is indeed the Prince of Peace. And that God's path is made clear through the outpouring of his Holy Spirit, who guides our steps into the ways of righteousness and truth. And so Isaiah 2 5 concludes this way. He says, O house of Jacob, and I'd say house of Southrum Baptist Church, come, let us walk. Let us take that path together, right? In the light of the peace of God and in the presence of the Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come this morning, and Lord, we don't know what to expect, actually. There's lots of expectations that go fulfilled and unfulfilled. 
But we know this, and you promise us this. You promise us that you are present. Even when we can't see it or feel it, you are present. And may we seek that presence. And God, you offer us peace. You desire it so much for us. And as we find your presence, there we also find your peace. And God, your path awaits us. May we be people of the path, living into your Son who has given us the Spirit that we might walk in righteousness and in truth. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.